0: and that's what climate change is about it is literally
1: not figuratively a clear and present danger we are in the beginning of a mass extinction
0: the ability of co2 to do the heavy work of creating a climate catastrophe is almost nil at this point
2: the price of oil has been artificially elevated to the point of insanity
0: that's not how you power a modern industrial system the ultimate goal is of this renewable energy you know plan is to reach the exact same point that we're at now you know, you know who's tried that germany seven straight days of no wind for germany uh their factories are shutting down
1: they really do act like weather didn't happen prior to like 1910. today is friday
2: It is Friday, and welcome, everyone, to CCR number 59. It's hard to believe we've done that many so far. Well, today, we're going to be talking about fact checks and fecklessness. Well, you know where the feckless are. You know who you are out there. Anyway, today, we've got our usual panel. We've got with us Sterling Burnett and Linnea Lucan, who are joining us to help skewer the feckless today and talk about some of the things that we've uh, looked at this week, we also will be covering this week, in addition to uh, climate fact check on our uh, climate at a glance book, we're going to be covering the EPA new set of rules that are basically designed to push everybody into an electric car. Full disclosure, I've owned three, not anymore. All righty, let's start our show, guys. So welcome. Uh, how you guys doing today?
1: So we're doing well Sorry, we didn't know we don't have anything planned ahead of time guys to say I'll let, let first, let first, first. first. so we're doing great um having a good day other than a bad hair day hence the hat today <laughs>
2: <laughs> well your cap looks cute so you're doing oh, fine
1: thanks. great
2: all righty
0: and as so, i sit and as i sit here i'm uh i'm uh enraged by biden by uh uh, JP Morgan Chase Bank's uh, CEO wanting to take private property for his uh, green energy and for everything else that's going, uh, uh, that's maddening in this world.
2: Well, that's good. And it is Friday, so uh, as Greta says. And so we can just basically uh, rejoice in the weekend coming up. But first, we've got to talk about some facts and fecklessness. Let's go to the facts first. Now, you may recall that we published a booklet Climate at a glance 30 topics for teachers and students on all sorts of different climate things. It has been tremendously well received for the most part. And that's the problem. People like it. Oh no, we have to smack it down says the left. The left is busy 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 right now writing all kinds of articles. I count three so far. Basically maybe there's more that are basically saying don't read it it's it's misleading it's not factual, it's climate denial. It's all of the above. They are very busy trying to skewer this thing. The interesting thing about it is is that they haven't been able to skewer any of the facts in it. They only talk about the usual uh, stupid arguments, the lazy arguments like, The the Cartland Institute is the show for big oil. They're in in bed with the Koch brothers, you know, on and on and on and on. There's no merit to any of these claims. We don't take any big oil money. We haven't for years and years. It's just not part of our makeup right now. So let's look at this article from um, AFP, a a French uh, outfit that basically said, you know, we've reviewed it and it's junk. Don't read it. It's dangerous. All of all this stuff, you know, and this article from AFP basically talks about the fact that, um, they've out gone out and reviewed experts and they have got the expert's opinion and the experts say it's bad. So therefore you shouldn't read it. Uh, you guys, uh, uh just, uh, here we go. Books sent to schools contains misleading climate change claims. They- um, uh, Go ahead, Sterling.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think you're being fair to our critics there, Anthony, because you may have found three separate articles, but AFP's fact check and its uh, follow-up article, you know, th- they they think our your climate at glance booklet is so threatening that they had to do two separate articles on it. One, oh, right. That's true. In February and one just last week. And uh, that one was picked up by dozens of outlets around the world. You know, I saw it in the International Business Times, in Macau, in the, you know, in, in the Philippines, in Brazil. I've seen it all over. And uh, that one says <laughs> infecting young minds. So the, the, the Climate at a Glance book is like an infection. You read it and then you breathe on somebody and you pass on the information you know, somehow mir- miraculously and it warps them. Uh, it, it's crazy.
2: Yeah, it is crazy—the the infecting young minds kind of thing. I want the title of Infector in Chief. That's what I want. Yeah, you know, maybe but, maybe
0: you can get a good government pension being the Infector in Chief.
2: <laughs> but you know, here's the thing: we went through and got all of the official data. You know, we got data from NASA, we got data from NOAA, we got data from the IPCC, we got data from peer review, and we got data from experts in the field and climate. We presented this data and we made sure everything was referenced. We made sure everything was factually cross-checked to make sure that everything in this book was accurate. This wasn't something we threw together in a couple of weeks. This was a months long effort by multiple people, not only within, but outside of the Harklin Institute that reviewed it. We stand by the facts that we presented in this thing, and we know that they're factual. And that's why they're going totally berserk over it. Uh, That's why they have to smack it down. You know, you can get your own copy of this for free. Go to climateataglance.com, and there's a download for a digital version of the book. And it's also available on Amazon. And on Amazon, we have all kinds of positive reviews, glowing reviews. We've had you know, all kinds of email, which we'll get to in a little bit from teachers saying what a wonderful resource this is. And that's why the left is so threatened because the teachers are all of a sudden having a tool to say something different. Guys, the, the,
0: the, the reviews are, should, we should mention, they're from confirmed purchasers, not not just uh, anyone who's never read it. They're, they're con- from confirmed people. And, right, you know, I know we're going to go back to the AFP, but I've written about this AFP thing and I think I was unfair to them because I said all that, all that their fact check lack was a fact check. In fact, when they checked our facts, when they looked at what we actually said, they basically confirmed everything we said. And then they also, they always added a, but yes, hurricanes aren't worse, but yes, their data show, you know, the data they use shows wildfires have declined. But, and, and so when they fact-checked us, on the few points they fact-checked us, they confirmed what we said, and then they added context from experts, saying, oh, well, uh, the future, things will happen in the future, uh, or, or the data in the past is bad. Uh, uh, it's the only data we have, but it's bad. And so ignore, ignore that. So uh, it's, it's uh, ridiculous.
1: Well, first of all, you shouldn't listen to the French about anything. <laughs> <laughs> only... well, no. French, French, except ladies. when it comes
2: to cuisine, cuisine, yes, cuisine, yes, cuisine, and wine,
1: <laughs> and maybe fashion, and maybe fashion. All right. anyway. but so, um, but besides that, uh, the like anthony and sterling have pointed out the only times that they have any kind of a refutation to what's presented in climate at a glance is when it has to deal with projections now what does not deal as much with projections other than referencing them is the um the working group reports by the ipcc which as anthony told us at the beginning here um climate at a glance relies heavily on information from the IPCC working group reports, which is where actually all the science is in the IPCC climate reports, um, the journalists do not read the working group reports. Nope. I don't think that they would get past the first page. To be quite honest, uh, there's a lot of kind of circular <laughs> uh, conversation that goes on in those, and um, they're they're not easy to get through. But these people do not even try. They read the report that is put out as a summary to uh, policymakers, and that is it. And the policy for summary makers does not reflect what is actually in the working group reports, never has. Um, they So this is all just, you know, they're trying to fact check us when they haven't actually done any of the work. And it's pretty gross. <laughs> I well, hate it. I'm you know, not a fan.
0: Looking at just a couple of them. So they, they fact-checked us on crop claims, right? And our data comes from uh, the UN. It comes from uh, the UN's Food and Agricultural Organization. And they basically first confirm, yeah, crops are up, you know, in part due to CO2. Yeah, yeah, that that's true. But, and then they... Call the FAO, you know, Food and Agriculture Organization, or or contact them via email and say, what do you think of their use of your uh, material? And rather than saying, well, we stand by our data, uh, they got one person to respond who said, well, but it doesn't show that CO2 is good for sustainable agriculture. And it's like, well, f- first off, w- we say nothing about sustainable agriculture in climate at a glance. We talk about, about crop production. Um, but if it's not, I don't know what sustainable crops look like, but they must not act like any other crop or plant on earth if CO2 isn't good for them. <laughs> uh, good point. Because, uh, because every other crop on earth that I guess that that aren't sustainable oh they actually benefit from higher CO2. So I yeah. don't know
1: what that person's talking about. Yeah, that, their whole idea, thing is,
2: their opinion's there. a load of crop. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, and that's one of the worst parts of this whole thing, right? They say that sustainable agriculture is um, harmed by climate change, and it's also the only way to avoid climate change. What is what is sustainable agriculture? What they mean is a reduction of factory type farming or mass production farming. So this is going to be organic stuff, whatever. Well, what does CO2 have as an effect on plant growth? Well, it makes plants use water more efficiently. Why on earth would you want to go for a low water use, sustainable agricultural style and have lower... (laughs)
0: and and have and have lower yields and
1: production at a time when we have growing world population. Right. It sounds yeah. like they're just pro famine. That's on her
0: Yeah, that's it. That's what exactly what it sounds like. And then you uh, know on the hurricane it, once again they say yes, hurricanes w- w- we've said before hurricanes aren't increasing, but NOAA says uh in the future hurricanes will become more powerful. Uh and then, you know, that, 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 by the way, was my best uh, uh, Al Gore voice. Noah says. Um, and, uh, okay, so you don't refute the facts that we present, but you say that in the future. Well, then Noah may, must not uh, follow its own research because we, we also looked at research. We've had more than 30 years since James Hansen first testified in 88, right? 88, so that's 35 years uh, since Hansen first testified and um, that climate change was causing, you know, the end of the world and humans were causing it. And so we've had 35 years since then. And guess what's happening in those 35 years? Severe and powerful hurricanes have declined. Whose data is that? Noah's data. So uh, for some reason, the climate change we're causing thus far has caused hurricanes to decline, but in the future, hurricane powers will increase despite the fact they haven't done so far, so, so far. And they've been, in fact, going down, just the opposite of what Noah claims should be happening with a warmer, more CO2 world.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they were also talking about one of the articles I saw talking about flooding, you know, and, the IPCC, in their latest report, says, we see no climate change signal affecting flooding whatsoever, and yet they insist that flooding is getting worse. And the problem has to do a lot of with reporting. You know, one of the big things that's changed over the last 30 to 40 years as climate change became, you know, its own uh, its own thing, is that we've had far more availability to reporting. We've had you know news outlets that run 24-7. We've got the Weather Channel. We've got storm chasers. We've got millions upon millions of people with cell phones that can capture tornadoes and other odd weather events You know, literally uh, in seconds and have it over to CNN in a space of a couple of minutes. Uh, we have live feeds, all this stuff. And so it gives the appearance that weather is getting worse and therefore it must be climate change. But it's not that at all. When you look at the data... And that's exactly what we did. This book was entirely data driven, nothing else. No agenda. No looking at the future. Look at what's happened so far in the data. And when you look at the data objectively and get that whole model say the future is going to be worse out of your head, you can't really di- dispute this book.
0: Well, and, you know, and it's um, this was not an opinion piece. It was not vitriolic. We never say climate change is a happening that's not what this report is we looked at in the in the book we you know online we've got more uh, uh, briefs on different topics but in the book right. we looked at 30 topics and we said uh, here is what's happening you, you hear that bees are you know I don't think bees are in this one but you hear that hurricanes are increasing and getting worse more powerful well here's what the data shows you hear that uh, uh, Crops are failing and being affected by extreme weather. Well, here's what the data shows. And then we let the reader decide. Are you, are you going to believe the data? Or are you going to believe uh, what the press headlines say? Uh, and that is how you do science. It's also how you, uh, I think, in a science class, you know, because it was for teachers and students, how you should proceed. You, you say, okay. Let's open this topic up for discussion, and then let one side present their point of view, and let the other side present their point of view, and hopefully, both those points of views will be based on facts that can be challenged. There, that you could put a truth table to them. Yep. Um, All right. That's not what they want. They don't want truth tables.
2: Yep. All right. So let's go to one of the few articles that have come to our defense. We had a a fellow by the name of Kevin Kelo at Cowboy State Daily in Wyoming. Love that state. Wyoming's a beautiful state. A lot of climate realist and sensible people living in Wyoming. Anyway, Cowboy State Daily did an article that basically looked at AFP's fact check. They said, we're fact checking the fact checkers. The fact check is worthless. That's what they they were saying. And so they went through and checked everything that we wrote. And guess what? They we came out on the right side of data, on the right side of, of truth, and that was the whole goal of here. Data and truth—that's all we wanted to put out there. But data and truth is threatening to the left, and that's why they have to smack it down. Um, the uh, just amazing the reaction that we're getting to this because you know you would think that people that are out there with the whole gloom and doom scenario that the future is terrible, you know. Uh, you would think that if someone brought to their attention, "Hey, it's not as bad as you think it is," facts say so. You'd think they would be welcoming with that. Oh, thank goodness, the future's not as bad as we thought it was going to be. No, they want to go out and say the future's worse than we thought it would be. These
0: people are deniers and all this kind of stuff. That's yeah. their mindset. It's crazy. Yeah, crazy. You, they, good news. I guess doesn't sell papers or ad revenue on on television. I, I don't know, but. uh, you know the most telling. I, I'm not sure if this made the book or if we put out this this uh, two pager after the book went to press. But the most telling thing to me is the fact that uh, you know the the good news that deaths related to temperatures and extreme weather are down 99% over the past century of climate change of global warming. Uh, you'd think they'd be that would be headlines everywhere. You know, it's like. Uh, Good news people not dying uh, from climate change, people not dying from extreme weather, the number of people dying from non optimum temperatures drops 99% over the century. I don't see those headlines, but that's what the data show. Instead, you see headlines oh, people dying from climate induced heat wave, as if we never had heat waves before, and as if heat waves aren't, in fact, uh, you know, as if more people don't die from cold and the number of cold deaths are declining dramatically.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, good news apparently is not something they like. <laughs> it's funny. We got mail. Yes, we've got mail. We got a lot of mail about this. We got some good mail and we got some bad mail and then we got some mail that well, you just judge it for yourself. <laughs> Let's take a look at some of the mail that we got. Uh, A lot of positive reviews from teachers came in. Here's some of the mail that we've gotten. Okay, so here's one. I received your booklet and saw a digital version and slide deck. I appreciate y'all putting this together and sending it out. I teach environmental science to senior level students and we're gonna be hitting the final unit called global change. And this tool will be great for analysis and case studies. I love receiving new resources that are easy to use and make it easier and not have to create one so thank you for sending this and for the work involved in putting it together how about that let's go to the next one all right this one here says uh i plan on using this as an additional resource for my classes uh, basically the, i'm wanting to take you up on this offer of getting more books and we did send them if anyone wants more of these we'll send them out Here's another. Thank you for sending me the Climate at a Glance book. I have for years told my students that the things they hear on TV are lies and half-truths and have to deal with others judging me. I have a physics degree and I teach physics in high school and community college. One of the things we didn't touch on was about earth magnetic field, but that's something, you know, we couldn't cover everything in the book. But anyway... Thank you for the book, which I can use as evidence when people disagree, especially in this new world. How do you deal with the ignorant sheep on a daily basis? Well, that's why we're here to deal with that. Okay, next one. This one kind of stands on its own.
0: (laughs) This was not a fan. This was not a fan.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Jesse. Okay, next one. All right. A. Smith, that could be anybody, you know, it might even not even be his real name. You will bleed and die in the Civil War you start, Skippy. Yes, Civil War over
0: climate change, right. I I actually wrote him back. I said, you know, I I did my best uh, uh, airplane impersonation. First off, don't call me Skippy. Uh, (laughs) uh, Secondly, or I might have said, who is the Skippy of whom you speak? Uh, but then I said, uh, you know, I I, I questioned, I I said, What civil war am I starting? Uh, I I talk about climate change and somehow I'm starting a civil war,
2: yeah. Well, you know, you are more powerful than you
0: think, Sterling. You got to watch it. Evidently, (laughs) look, if I was as powerful as they think, yeah, I, I evidently am. The world right. really would be quite a different place, and I would like to think better, but I don't have that power. Okay,
2: <laughs> if you say so. All right. And then the, uh, this is a follow-up from Jesse earlier. Full report here, since I know you never read anything that's not pre-vetted by the flax at the Petroleum Institute.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, I responded to that at length, uh, and then he wrote me back. You know, Once again, he called me Nazi. Uh, you'll be remembered as worse than Nazis.
2: Yeah, you know, here's the interesting thing. He cites the uh, AR6 report from the IPCC. We have that <laughs> uh... referenced multiple times in the book, multiple times. And it, obviously, Jesse never read the book. He's just going from his mind. Ugh. Anyway, next slide. All right, this is a kind of a, uh, a big one, but um, this French-Canadian guy basically said, he's really happy that we sent this. And, uh, you know, he wants to use this in his classes and so forth. And so, you know, it's been, it's been encouraging that we're getting mail like this, because we know there are teachers out there that are in need of this stuff. And they can't get their hands on anything that says anything counter to the narrow. And they know that, It's the narrative itself is being overinflated, and it's not true in a lot of cases. And so we have a lot of people that are very thankful for this. Next slide. All right, this is the winner. We have a winner. This one, again, stands on its own. What a KKK crock of fastest BS from KKK crop of fastest BS. Useless, worthless, white trash supremacist, KKK Christianist, national fastest traitor KKK scum, can barely read anyway, but nice try all the same. At least you pustules included lots of glossy pictures so the illiterate trash can be entertained. Thanks, Tom. I mean, this is did just he, a sampling of the stuff did we did include
1: those quotes on his email, or did he? Put yes, those he did. Yes, wow, he did. they are the most ironic quotes he could have possibly picked.
2: The irony is strong with this one. Yes. Oh, my goodness. It just, uh, <laughs> well, this is all entertaining stuff, but it just goes to show you, you know, years ago, Rush Limbaugh said, that uh, liberalism is a mental disease. And I used to go, oh, groan, you know. I I, I felt that that was really bad, what he said. But after reading letters like this, I have to think he was spot on. I mean, it's just unbelievable. All right, we're gonna switch topics now. We're gonna switch topics now. The other crazy thing that happened this week is the EPA and the Biden administration They are basically throwing out a mandate by using bureaucracy, nothing we voted for, nothing that our legislators voted for. This is a mandate from bureaucracy that says, we are going to go put out these rules with the toughest emissions limits ever. The EPA is going to mandate these emissions limits and the emissions limits basically boil down to this. You can't drive a gasoline powered car. And this is going to push at least two thirds, maybe more, of all of the vehicles being sold in the United States by around 2032 to EVs. The biggest problem that we have with bureaucracy is none of these people are scientists and engineers. None of these people know how to run a society from the ground up nuts and bolts versions, you know? And so they just make a mandate and they think with a wave of a hand and a law, it will happen. They are well, so
0: far out of it, it's amazing. The biggest, not the biggest, but one of the main concerns about this is that they talk about emissions. They've always regulated emissions of pollutants. CO2 ain't a pollutant. This is specifically focused on pollutants. It's not about particulate matter. It's not about soot. It's not about ozone. All of these things that they traditionally regulated. This is about CO2 because they don't get at it if they're regulating traditional pollutants. So they'd say, oh, well, CO2 is pollution. Uh, I guess we should, you know, each of us individually go into our local auto shop and breathe into a, a breathalyzer and see how much CO2 we're putting out every year and get a stamp on our forehead saying we're either okay or not. Um, the what, they're, what this is doing, what this is going to do, if it actually takes effect, fortunately, we've still got some years in the future. I don't think it kicks into 2027. Uh, you know, maybe he'll be gone by then. Uh, but what it will do is force the most popular vehicles on the road today off the road. Or it will keep older versions of them, more polluting versions, on the road longer because people will keep their... Do you know what the biggest best-selling vehicle, not car, best-selling vehicle in the United States has been, I believe, for close to 40 years. What is it? The Ford F-150 pickup truck.
2: Yep, I was going to say that. That's
0: it. Okay, so the Ford F-150 ain't going to meet these new standards. You are taking away what people are telling the marketplace they want to drive. And, of course, Ford's got an electric truck, and it hasn't done too well. They're losing billions on it. It doesn't satisfy the conditions that the old Ford One F-150, the traditional gasoline-powered one, does. You know what? Every one of the pickup trucks sold by the major manufacturers is in the top five in sales or the top ten. All of them got to be gone. Your SUV, your big SUVs, they'll all have to be gone. And yet these are the vehicles that people choose when they're allowed choice. So Biden is telling you, I know better. You should care only about fuel efficiency and your CO2 emissions, not how many people you can carry, not whether you can transport anything, not whether you can get a boat to the dock. Uh, can you get your kids in the van? None of that matters. The only thing that matters, and Biden's telling you this, is CO2 emissions. And so you've got to go. you got to stick all your kids in a Prius. Rivian, who knows whether Rivian will even be around by then. They're losing money. Uh, As far as I can tell, Tesla's truck's still not on the market. Um, Every one of the manufacturers has an electric truck, and none of their sales are topping their gasoline power engines. So, um, and that's the problem for Biden, is that people choose gas-powered, gas and diesel-powered vehicles when they have a choice, and not necessarily the most fuel-efficient ones, because that's not what they care about the most. Yeah, that's true. But see, here's the thing. There's this mandate that's coming
2: down from on high, but the, when people are polled, 47% of Americans are unlikely to buy an EV. That's essentially half the population of the United States that is of driving age or car ownership capable. Now, imagine trying to make half of the people of the United States buy something they don't want. That's going to be a tough sell. It's also gonna make a lot of people really mad. And what else it's gonna do? If they do mandate this and it becomes, you know, law and they they, you know, you can't buy a regular vehicle at a dealership. You have to buy some, you know, uh, electric version of the Trabant. Well, what's gonna happen is is we're gonna end up just like Cuba. You know, in Cuba they have all of these old classic cars from the 50s and early 60s, and the reason for that? Is because once the whole Cuban Missile Crisis thing started and all that, Cuba refused to allow imported car parts and imported new vehicles. And so the Cubans, faced with not being able to do anything except keep the cars they have and keep them in repair, have been keeping these old cars on their own, on the road for decades. These old polluting cars. It's just amazing. And that's what we're going to happen. That's what's going to happen here in the United States with this. We're going to end up to be a nation of used cars. Used cars will be king
0: in the future.
1: So take care of them. <laughs> Don't yeah, let
0: them rust out. What 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 this is doing is it's uh it's a, uh, a job security bill or job security regulation for auto mechanics for car shops, and the yep. manufacturers uh, will have to keep making the parts or. Uh, aftermarket parts will have to come on to keep them running
2: yeah it's crazy and you know there's a lot in, in nevada where i live now they've they've actually thrown out the they have they've fired the first shot across the bow against classic cars they have imp- uh, made a new mandate with the dmv here in nevada that if you have a classic car you have to show proof that it's a classic car uh, and the classic cars have been exempt from smog regulations. So you have to, to show that it's a, it really, in fact, a classic car. You know, just having a VIN number is not enough. And you also have to report the mileage and all this stuff. And so they're out there basically trying to manage your private property in a way that they can control it.
0: If, Speaking you, if, of con- you, get, if you get a magnet, one of those car magnets, and stick it on there that says classic car, you think that will satisfy uh, the standard? I don't know. I don't know. I've got
1: a little bit of data that um, our friend from Cowboy State Daily posted to Twitter real quick. Andy, I don't have the, uh, I probably won't be able to get the link to you in time, but I'll just read it real quick. So the F-150 Lightning, the electric version of the F-150 costs $51.70 to charge, and it goes 227 miles. A normal F-150 goes 483 miles on a full tank and at a high cost of gas it'll be about $115 to fill the tank. So a charge takes about 30 minutes, fill up is 5. It's
0: the oh, math so just
1: doesn't work out for us.
0: Yeah, there's no comparison. And uh, and you know, we have look, we have we know what the future looks like under Biden's mandate cuz we can look to California They already, you know, the biggest EV sales, mandates that that are stricter than the federal government's, and every year uh, their power system fails. That's before we add millions and millions of more EVs to the the grid. Uh, And they tell you not to charge your cars, especially at night. They say, well, you need to charge your car while you're at work. Well, you know, you're going to have to have a lot a lot more electric vehicle chargers than even Biden is planning. If everybody is going to charge their car during the middle of the day while they're at work, as opposed to overnight in their garages. And my suspicion is you're going to have a lot of car garages and houses burned down when the uh, EV batteries uh, catch fire.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, there's all kinds of problems with electric vehicles, you know, and people have seen them in the news. The big difference between gasoline cars and electric cars is that gasoline cars generally do not spontaneously combust. You know, uh, gasoline cars do, in fact, catch fire in auto accidents, just like EVs do. But, you know, you can be pretty sure that if you park your vehicle in the garage overnight... Even with a full tank of gas, it's not going to burn your house down on its own just because. But with an EV, you can never be sure about that. And that's the big difference. People are afraid of these vehicles for that reason and for other reasons, too. They're worried about range anxiety, range anxiety worrying about are you going to be able to get to your destination, you know, and have enough juice to get there. With a gas-powered vehicle, you can always stop along the way and get more gasoline. With an EV, you may or may not be able to encounter a charging station, and you know that's a problem. Well, but, and, you know, and, sorry. Go ahead, Linnea. Go ahead.
1: Um, we talked about this yesterday on in the tank and the. Um one of the things that people just don't talk about is how much long distance driving is part of like the American culture in general. I mean, ever since, you know, like route 66 and stuff, um, you know, going on multiple day drives and my family takes routinely takes 16 hour road trips at least, um, depending on where we're going, but back and forth between Illinois and South Carolina is about 14 to 16 hours sometimes unless, uh, you go a little fast. And um it's it's a huge part of American culture. Europeans don't understand this at all. And that's why you'll see all sorts of Europeans in the comment section be like, why don't you just why don't you just build more trains? Why don't you just blah 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 blah, blah. Why don't you just live closer to the stores? Blah blah blah. Because this con this country is a very large country and a lot of it is mostly uninhabited.
0: Yeah, I think um, most, I think most of Europe could fit in Texas and certainly Alaska.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: so, so, you know, it takes the same amount of time to travel between two States as it does between two countries in Europe. Um, right.
2: It's like going between New Hampshire and Vermont, you know, for Europe.
1: It's totally incomparable. Um, and, and again, the United States was built on distance travel culturally not just for efficiency purposes right so we have one of the most expansive highway systems in the world we have um well we used to have pretty decent long distance trains too but they've mostly phased out a lot of the passenger trains because no one was taking them (laughs) because you can drive faster so um you know that wasn't very popular in the end plus the, the American spirit of independence is such a huge part of our culture as well. Just being able to say, I'm going to go on a trip this week, getting in your car, not having to wait for anything else and going. That is what they intend to take away from us. They do not want you to have a car with, you know, a 500 mile range like my little Jetta almost does um, so that you can go travel to, I don't know, Miami or something for the weekend. They don't want you to be able to do that. They want you to live in a 15 minute city and never go anywhere.
0: Auto, look, yep. Automobility is part of freedom in, a, in this country. It and is. I did an analysis uh, for a couple of different papers uh, that I wrote um, that looked at the range of EV vehicles versus uh, conventional vehicles. And uh, I, I talked about you take a long trip like I did to Colorado. Um, I spent a week in Colorado. It took me, um, where I went, I think it took me 14 hours to get there driving overnight. I'll admit uh, I wasn't always keeping to the speed limit. Um, I think it took me the same 14 hours back that trip in an EV with the time it would have taken charging, uh, at a normal, um, uh, station, and normal charging station, if I could have found it along the road, probably I would have gotten two days in rather than seven days in because it would have taken me about uh, three days up and three days back, the, the time I was charging. Uh, if, if a super fast charger, I would have lost two days. So I would have had five days vacation rather than seven. Just going to Houston, most electric vehicles don't make that on a single charge from my house. Uh, it's, it's about four or four five hours uh 240 miles or so uh in traffic and so to have to stop overnight and find a charger for my vehicle while i rent a hotel room to go to houston which i can do you know i can do a trip down and back in a day that's not very convenient austin's pretty much the same uh they just don't meet americans needs and I don't have a train that runs from my house to my mom's front door to my grand, uh, to my niece's front door or to my dry cleaner or anywhere else. Um, If I have to get around and see my family, trains ain't going to do it. Um, And I can't walk. So you're right, Linnea, what they really want us is to all live in really, really dense locations all near to each other. You know, at one time, you, you did. You know, we used to live in small villages where you knew everybody because, well, you, you're related to almost everybody. Um, we don't live, you know, Amer- one of the beauties of America is we could spread out. If we want to live, we could live thousands of miles away from our relatives. And because of the plane, we can get to them in a single day. So we can right. still visit grandma, but still live in the mountains if we want to, while grandma wants to live at her- the home where she was raised. Right. So that one
2: of the biggest problems, in addition to the spontaneous combustion of electric vehicles and the range anxiety, is how long does it take to charge? This article here says many new electric cars can take up to 12 hours to charge using a level two outlet. That's one of the biggest problems right there. Can you imagine if they made remade National Lampoon's Vacation today, but they were driving a big electric station wagon that
0: looked hideous? Mm. I mean... It,
1: it, you could have it, some it would, pretty funny
0: scenes bursting into
1: flames on the highway though that'd be pretty good
0: well you you could also show them pulling up to that charger only to find that copper thieves had gone there and stolen everything (laughs) from it so you couldn't get your charge on even though it was there
1: they pull into bucky's and have to sit there for six hours yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so there have been
2: some horror stories written in the last few months about people that have decided to travel long distance cross-country and they think they're going to be able to drive just like they can with a regular vehicle. One article I saw, and I can't recall where I saw it, but I do remember very distinctly said, we spent more time charging the vehicle than we did driving. Imagine that. And it's true. The, the, the whole Uh-oh. technology of electric vehicles is not ready for the prime time viewpoint of Americans and automobiles.
0: I think it was Jennifer Granholm earlier this year who bragged about going back to Michigan and and driving her electric vehicle from Michigan to Washington DC and laughing as she passed all the gas stations that she didn't have to pay, stop and fill up at and, and pay these exorbitant prices. Yeah. So my question is, yeah, but how long did it take you to get from uh, wherever you were in Michigan to DC? How many times did you have to stop to charge and where did you charge? It's very convenient for a wealthy uh government bureaucrat to do this and stay overnight on the government dime uh, at a hotel so she missed the gas stations uh, those places where you fill up for five minutes and she stayed overnight to charge her car
2: right right and so you know there's this mandate from on high basically saying you're gonna drive an electric vehicle and you will like it that's what's coming We have to fight back against this, folks. We have to say no, not just no, but hell no. There's nothing wrong with American society that needs changing right now when it comes to electric vehicles. We don't need electric vehicles. They are not conducive to our economic welfare, our personal welfare, or anything else you know, we have a car culture in the United States that surpasses every other country, maybe except for Australia. They've got some pretty rad stuff down there. But the point is, is that Americans and their cars are very closely knitted together. Hot rotting is something that is a pastime all over the country, taking an old car and fixing it up, juicing it up. You don't see that kind of stuff happening with EVs. You don't see someone taking, you know, a decrepit EV and turning it into a hot rod.
0: <laughs> it just a, don't decry- happen. a decrepit EV. I like the thought of that. You know why it doesn't happen? Uh, because when the batteries go out, it costs more to replace the batteries than it does to replace an engine and a transmission in a car. Uh,
1: surely, I mean, surely someone out there is doing some kind of modifications but that's part of the problem with those electric scooters in new york though is people doing modifications to their electric bikes just the other day this is an awful thing someone did someone installed some kind of a aftermarket um device on their electric scooter to get it to charge faster i think and it burnt their house down and killed two of their kids
0: yeah no no elect there are some electric hot rods out there i've seen them on on the flat tracks on tv uh, they got these huge battery packs in the back of their, they, they're even electrifying older hot rods, uh, putting big battery packs in the, in the trunk. And, and they're fast, man. They are fast, uh, but uh, they're not very practical. Uh, and I wouldn't want to be sitting on top of that bomb, but uh, um, you know, to be fair, Jamie Dimon of uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, their chairman, He has a solution to the charging problem and to to getting electricity uh, to everybody, uh, making sure we have plenty of power. Uh, All that that has to be done is for the government or uh, companies uh, (laughs) companies, uh, sanctioned by the government to allow them to take private property. Eh, You need more chargers everywhere? Just take someone's house. Take their front yard. Put in a new charger. All you got to do is do that. You don't, a farmer doesn't want to sell his field or, you know, a community doesn't want wind turbines or solar panels. Seize it. Oh, we'll pay them compensation. What we've decided, you know, in our wisdom is fair market value, not what they consider fair market value, but what the government does. Uh, That's all you got to do. You can get all this done if you steal people's land.
2: Yeah. Well, this is fascism, pure and simple. When you start saying, let's just take your private property for the good of the state or the supposed good of the state.
0: Yeah, it's supposed to be for the public good. Well, tell that to the people whose property you're taking. And, you know, my, th- my thinking is, so I'm now, I'm a, I'm a customer. I'm a farmer who's got a long relation with uh, my local uh, Chase Bank or my local uh, 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 J.P. Morgan branch. And I find out that the chairman now wants to take my property that I've been, you know, farming for multiple generations, been farmed for multiple generations. Do I still want to do banking with that firm? <laughs> or do I want to w- w- withdraw my sanction of their continued existence by taking my money out and finding another bank that doesn't say, "Hey, uh, we appreciate your business, but we're going to steal your land"?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, it kind of reminds me of the old Beach Boys song. You know, you'll have fun, fun, fun until Biden takes the T-bird away. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what's happening. But speaking of Biden taking your T-bird away, look at what Biden has. He's got his garage and his classified documents for his Corvette. Yes, our our, uh, climate tier in chief, Joe Biden, who's pushing these mandates, says, I'm going to keep driving my Corvette because, well, you know, I'm exempt. That's one of the problems with the elite and the left. They're always exempt from the stuff they push on us mere peons, you know. We're not, we're, we don't need Corvettes. No, 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 no. They're bad for the environment. We don't need those things. Well, maybe and, and, he
0: won't be able to drive it in Las Vegas very much longer. Uh, who knows whether it'll get classified as a classic there in Nevada. Yeah,
2: Yep. Yeah. I would say so one of the things that's most interesting about Biden and his Corvette is that he went on with Jay Leno on this show to talk about his wonderful Corvette. And Jay Leno drove around with him. And then they had a drag race right? Getting up to 118 miles per hour. Gosh. How much nasty carbon did he admit into the atmosphere? Carbon dioxide, actually, because, you know, you don't see carbon coming out of these tailpipes unless they're badly tuned.
0: In any event... And how much real carbon, in, in the form of his tires, tread, did he leave on the track? Right. Right. Anyway, the
2: bottom line is, is the left doesn't give... A wit about us or our needs or our cars or our possessions or our property. They simply want to control you. That's all this is about, nothing else. Sure beats Air Force One, right? You know, Air Force Run, Air Force One, you know, I believe these mandates when they convert Air Force One to electric and Biden gives up his Corvette for a Tesla. That's when I believe that these folks yeah. really believe they are ta- know what they're talking about.
0: To be fair, at least he didn't trip getting into his car. <laughs> I don't know if they should anyway.
2: Okay. So we've got questions from viewers that we're going to try to tackle now. You know, um, bring it on, folks. Let's see your questions. How will good be, goods be transported across the nation? Well,
1: oh. electrical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well,
2: well, I will oh. say I've seen the new Tesla semi trucks. They're made not too far from me off of USA Parkway, uh, east of Reno. And they're pretty cool looking. And they seem to be well engineered, whether they will stay well-engineered and live up to their promise for long distance, I don't know. I think that they're primarily useful for short haul, just like any electric vehicle is. I don't really see long distance transport of goods being done by EV trucks. Um, well, you have to
0: have a trailer packed with batteries, right? You'd have to have half the trailer packed with batteries for long haul trucking uh, and, and, and charging for long periods of time. Uh, it's just amazing. Um, that they're, that they're considering this. You talk about supply chain issues now, uh, getting, getting, uh, supplies come in from the port of, uh, San Diego or New York to the middle of the country. Uh, it adds to the complications and are the ships going to see suddenly be all electric? Are they oh, are getting rid of diesel bunker fuel, bunker, bunker, marine bunker I fuel? Got, I got
1: something on that, Sterling. Uh, yeah. It's one of my favorite things that they've been talking about for about a year, maybe, maybe a couple of years now. Um they've come up with a new technology to, uh, limit emissions from, you know, transport ships, basically. Uh, it's, it's sales. They put sails on the ships. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, we're returning to the age of exploration. Talk to
0: talk about back to the future.
1: Yeah. uh, It's wonderful. Um, loving it. I love to see that. Uh, of course, what they don't think about, and I'm sure that the engineers and stuff do, who are making these things are like, yeah, this isn't going to work, but we're getting paid a lot of money to do it. So we're just going to do it. Um, no doubt they also have an engine on them because the trade routes that we use now are not trade routes that would be conducive to the old sailing routes, which you would have to make use of again if we were to go back to sailboat uh, shipping. Uh, it's it's really sad. <laughs>
2: uh. Yes, back to the Back to the future, back to the 18th century. Oh, boy. All right, let's go to the next question. If you don't use it for a few days, do you need to leave them plugged in? Do they lose charge sitting for a few days? Yep, they sure do. Lithium batteries do lose charge over time. So if you plug it in and you have 100% on your meter and then you unplug it and then you let it sit, yes, it's going to be lower. Now, this brings up an interesting question. Suppose you drive your Tesla, to the airport, and you don't have the ability to plug into one of the chargers they have there. Most airports these days have about maybe a dozen of these EV chargers. So you can't leave it plugged into these EV chargers for long term because they're there for short term use. So what do you do? You know, you, you come back after a two week vacation, and you sit in your EV and you press the button and nothing happens. What do you do? Well, you got to call AAA and they bring a fossil fuel tow truck by and move you over to the charging station.
0: Well, the alternative, Anthony, is if you're in San Francisco or a few other cities, including Dallas, for that matter, uh, you give your keys to the uh, homeless person that's living <laughs> in, the, in the garage and say, can you move my vehicle when one of these things opens up and trust that the car will still be there when you get back. Right, yeah, that works. Sure.
2: All right, next question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> talk
2: to Musk. Talk to yeah, Elon.
0: Talk to Musk or the Russians. They're still shipping people up at a for at a, a price. Yeah.
2: Will these charging stations have blackout the same as the rest of us? Well, interestingly, no. One of the most interesting charging stations is in California. At the summit of the Sierra Nevada on Interstate 80, Donner Summit, as they call it, in name of the infamous Donner Party. And so at the charging station at the summit rest stop, there is, in fact, a diesel generator. And when you pull up, because they couldn't get the high, the high, you know, great electricity they needed up there. It's like a diesel generator in. So you basically pull up, you put your credit card in and the diesel generator fires up and charges your car.
0: Oh, there you go. Well, I have a feeling that that won't be common uh, across the country. So, yeah, it, well, I mean, that's why, that's part of the reason why uh, California says don't charge your vehicles in the middle of summer, you know, at, at, at night is because they don't have enough electricity And your charger will have blackouts. They'll cause what they'll do is they'll cause blackouts. The more chargers you add to the system that's already underserved, it will wind up causing blackouts. And of course, then they are also out of power themselves. So uh, it's uh, at one time, I've said it before, we had an electric power system that was designed by engineers and worked well. And now we have an electric power system increasingly designed by politicians who aren't engineers and it's failing.
2: Right. Socially engineered as opposed to actually engineered. (laughs)
0: Yeah, social engineering. I like that. Yeah.
2: All right. To ask the pushers of EVs, what's the environmental impact from having to replace batteries every few years? And what is the performance in colder climates? Well, okay, I'll take the last question first because I know something about this. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the electric vehicles I used to own back around 2006 was based on a lead acid battery and it was heavy and cumbersome but it did work um and I ended up selling it on eBay to a guy in um in Alaska uh at uh, Fairbanks and I said to him are you sure you want to buy this yeah 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 I want this okay but I want to Warn you that in Fairbanks with the temperatures, this thing isn't going to perform as well. Its range is going to be reduced. Its speed is going to be reduced. It's not going to perform well. I don't care. I want it anyway. Okay. So I ended up selling it and shipping it to him in Alaska. He paid actually almost as much for the shipping as he did for the car. So he got his electric car after I didn't want it anymore. Well, lo and behold, a few months later, he writes back, says, yeah, you were right.
0: What are we going to do? Yeah, I can talk about the former point. So the environmental impact of having, you don't replace batteries. It's not like you pull a battery out of a pack. You replace the entire pack. It costs more than the car is worth very shortly. You know, within a couple of years after it drives off the lot, you know, car values drop. Well, the battery pack costs more. People are buying these things for their kids, used electric vehicles only to have uh, them stop because the battery goes out and they found out that, yeah, they can have it replaced as long as you took it back. A you got to take it back to uh, the authorized dealer because mechanic shops won't touch it. My mother found this out with her hybrid. Um, And they have to replace the entire pack, which is tens of thousands thousands of dollars. They told my mom they could replace her pack. All it would cost was $7,000. That was worth more than the car was worth. Uh, and now hers is a hybrid. So for five months now, six months now, I think she's been driving around on the little gasoline powered engine with no electric boost or help. (laughs) Uh, She's keeping her car running, but she's not replacing that battery pack. Does that sound like very, you know, does that sound efficient? So what the environmental impact is, um, you're, your, you're using
2: extra gas to haul around that heavy battery.
0: And and, and uh, other people are just putting their cars in junkyards. So if you think electric batteries sitting around in junkyards is a good idea, because uh, they can't recycle them, by the way. In fact, uh, a story I saw and I shared today was all these recycling centers that are having fires break out. Because of the small batteries, you're supposed to dispose of these lithium-ion batteries in a particular way. You don't just toss it in the trash. And uh, when they put their computers in the trash, recycling, uh, they put their laptops or their Kindles or whatever, you know, whatever device they use. Or just take the batteries out and throw it in the recycling bin. Because oh, that's a battery. You can recycle it. Well, What happens is that these recycling centers, they're catching fire. <laughs> and that's the small batteries. That's not even the car batteries.
2: Yeah. All right, we got a couple more questions. The charging surge times will lead to higher electricity costs, no? Well, I can guarantee you that in California it will, because because they are so climate oriented, especially during the summertime. We don't have enough electricity to run the state anyway. So what they do is they punish you with tears, and this is one of the reasons I moved out of California. I have. Uh, a company that has for years run hundreds of servers simultaneously doing weather calculations and so forth. And in California, when it gets hot and they start having to you know, stress the electricity grid because they don't have enough power, they start charging you more and more. They punish you for using more electricity. They don't have an, a, a loophole for people that are running things like computer server farms. So I was getting cost of electricity as much as 95 cents a kilowatt hour during peaks during the summer. It'll be the same thing with EVs. You get, you have to charge your EV and the grid is stressed. They are going to start surcharging you because you're using more electricity and using more electricity during a heat wave is bad. And so therefore you must be punished. You bet it's going to get more expensive.
0: Well, it, it's already... Um... As, as everyone who drives knows gas prices have gone up and down and up and down over the past year. And when gas prices have gone down, they're not back to where they were under Trump. Let's be clear. Uh, but when they've gone down in some areas, it costs more to charge your electric vehicle. The electricity cost of charging is more than the cost of gasoline for uh, filling a tank, uh, at prices at Biden's, uh, Uh, Prices today, with uh, with his uh, great relation with the Saudis, Uh, you know, prices it might be cost more now to fill a a vehicle with gasoline than it would to charge it, but maybe not because summer's coming on, electricity prices go up, Um, so it's already in some instances, in many instances, more expensive to charge a vehicle, despite the fact that we're told, "Ooh, that's cheaper than you know, burning gas."
2: Yeah, well. You know how it goes. All right, so we've covered the um, facts and the fecklessness today here at Climate Change Roundtable number 59. I want to thank you all for being with us. Be sure to visit us at climateataglance.com and download your free copy of the book if you haven't done show. Or if you want to show support, buy it on Amazon. Only nine ninety five. Just look for Climate at a Glance on Amazon. And be sure to give us a review if you've purchased the book. Because, you know... We've got people out there that review it anyway, even though they've never read it. And those are almost uniquely negative. Anyway, thanks for being with us, for Linnea and for Sterling. I want to thank you all for joining us today. I Wish you a great weekend and a great future. Bye-bye.